The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. All right, boys and girls, my name is Nubias Wilborn. The name of the marquee is Beer It Is. And I am with a really good friend that I just met that now trying the beer, learning to love it, because it's one of the best things going today. Woo! And it's Devil's Backbone out of Virginia. And my man, Jason Oliver. What's up, Jason? Well, just had just had that great, great beer dinner, you know. That was pretty epic, I think. Oh, man, that beer dinner was awesome, and I really enjoyed it. So tell us about where you guys are in Virginia. Also, how people can find you guys on social media. Okay. Well, uh, good thing uh, our social media maven is standing nearby. She can fill you in with all the juicy details on that. Uh, but Devil's Backbone, we have two facilities. The original facility is a brew pub that's located about 35 to 40 minutes southwest of Charlottesville in the Blue Ridge yeah. Mountains, right by a ski resort called Wintergreen. Nice. And beautiful location, uh, pretty much 360-degree mountain views. Absolutely gorgeous. Never get sick of the views there. Um, so we opened in, at the end of 2008 there. We built a production brewery over in Lexington, Virginia, which is in the Shenandoah Valley, and uh, opened that. Uh, really, the first beers rolled out of there in January of 2012. Uh, that has a full, that has a tasting room with 16 taps. Uh, no food, but we do have food truck and stuff. So you can go in there and have a pint, uh, buy a growler, buy a couple cases whatever, or you go to the brew pub, which is a full-service restaurant. Uh, we have 16 taps inside, 20 taps outside an outdoor bar. Um, really, really, both both facilities are cool places to visit. So, and to start, you guys have six core beers, or you call them in your language. Well, um, we have the Base Camp Favorites. The Base Camp Favorites, there's a four of them, right? That, that's four of them, and then we have a striped bass pale ale, which is pretty much uh, limited to tide water and coastal regions. Where, Take uh, home. Where and we raised money for a Chesapeake Bay Foundation with that beer. Nice. Uh, but uh, of the of the base camp favorites is uh, Gold Leaf Lager, Vienna Lager, A Point IPA, and Black Lager. And so those are the four year round ones which we call in the uh, base camp favorites. And base camp is what we call our original facility, and we call our production facility Outpost because nice. that was the second. Um, then we have our Trailblazer seasonal releases, and uh, the current one now is the Danzig Baltic Porter, which you tried. Yes, and I'm having one now. So, Excellent. and it's a really smooth beer, eight percent ABV, and I like how you guys list the malts and everything. Like a lot of places, like they hide a lot of that stuff. You guys like putting it all out there, man. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's important, like you know, put the greens out there because as a brewer, I mean. That's how I learn. I love this when I look at other brewery sites and you know, when they list the ingredients. You know, it gives me ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm happy to share because I've I've learned a lot from my fellow brewers. You know, so like, I mean, obviously you started with home brewing, so like you don't mind somebody trying to clone your beer. No, I mean, it's not, kinda, not, not a commercial brewer, but a home brewer. Maybe. No, it's kind of an honor, and I mean, I've seen some commercial brewers kind of do it too, and that's sort of a mixed bag. But it's like, but yeah. it is, but it is a, it is nice. It's like like. To think that hey, they, they like your beer enough that they want to do a shot at it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and even if it's just like you know, just reminds someone of something, that's great, you know. It's uh, yeah. I'm constantly getting ideas and inspiration from my fellow brewers. And so, from that, what are some things that you've had out in the market that have kind of influenced what you guys do today? Well, you know, uh, 
Schwartz beer. Uh, I love that beer, by the Black way, Black Lager, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was certainly influenced by one of the beers I, I used to brew when I was at Gordon Beerich. It certainly influenced, like, Duck Ravish, Schwartz beer, I think, is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and in fact, I think its viability was more inspired by when I saw Duck Rabbit had, like, you know... I, I love that beer. Baltic Porter they do, man. Yeah, they do a good Baltic yeah. Porter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I see that on the marketplace. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like short spears. It's a cool beer. It's a niche, you know. It's uh, not a lot of people do them, but there are ones out there. And uh, it's not like to be one. Um, our IPA, so when we're deciding to brew our IPA, there's mm-hmm. certainly like a couple beers that inspired me to do that beer. Uh, I wasn't trying to clone them, but I certainly got ideas from Stone's IPA. I got ideas from Avery's IPA. Well, you can't go wrong with those two. No. I got <laughs> ideas from them. Um, you know, certainly the Russian, what Russian River was doing, he, he likes to use Simcoe hops. We use a lot of Simcoe hops in our IPA. So those are all sort of inspirations uh, on, on some of our beers. Right. And so you guys are now coming to the Georgia market. This is one of your introductory dinners. By the way, amazing dinner here at Creekwood. And awesome. one of my favorite dishes was this Baltic Porter matched with the lamb. How do how do you feel that dish played out? So that was like probably one I was like most looking forward to. Mm-hmm. And I like that you know I talked during the meal that it's interesting that the Baltic Porter being the most alcoholic beer of the day right. was paired with essentially in the middle, yeah, in the middle of the heaviest dish, opposed to the dessert where oftentimes you know you see the stronger, more chocolatey roasted beers paired with the dessert. Uh, you know, like Imperial Stouts and Porters and, you know, that sort of thing. Because, it, let's face it, they go great with, with dessert. The chocolate, decadent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, so here's this, like, you know, fairly robust uh, Baltic Porter paired with, with lamb. But lamb is a very robust flavor, too. Yes. And that lamb was, and, and that was crust with coffee, too. So it worked great. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a really cool pairing. It was the one I was looking forward to the most. And I think it worked terrific. And it wasn't like a minty lamb where you see that sometimes. It was... Like you said, the coffee crust. So it played really well. It's like they, they danced with each other and not fighting each other. Yeah, I think they danced and didn't fight. And I think, you know, the beer held up to the meat. And, uh, and I, yeah, so I think, you know, because lamb, I think, I like lamb. Yeah. I wouldn't say I love lamb, but I like lamb. And I, when I have it, I enjoy it. Me too, yeah. But it's, a very, but it's a very pronounced flavor. And I think the beer really just sort of, like, carried it through and, you know, just uh, blended well. And so, with coming to this market, I mean, this is a very interesting market. I mean, you have the Sweetwaters, you have the Red Bricks. How familiar were you with Georgia Beers when you kind of came down? You know, quite honestly, I was relatively ignorant about uh, a lot of Georgia Beers. Uh, with, with explosion of breweries all around this country, it's it's really hard to keep up what's in your backyard. <laughs> right, right, right. Much less go for their foot. Now, I've had a lot of Sweetwater beers. Every time I'm in the airport, I'll go to the little Sweetwater pub and I'll have a mm-hmm. flight and, you know, just sort of get caught yeah. up with what Sweetwater is doing. And so I do that probably like every every year or two, you know, I'll have some Sweetwater beers. They're in our marketplace uh, mm-hmm. and our distributors up in Virginia carry Sweetwater. So, um, so I'm a little familiar with Sweetwater's beers. Red Brick. I haven't had Red Brick since I probably I was in uh, Myrtle Beach my, during my last job doing installation there. Oh, wow. I was at Gordon Beach, right? Yeah, I was yeah. at Gordon Beach doing the installation in Myrtle Beach. For That was my last kind of project with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, you know, I read about it. I read about, like, you know, Orpheus and some of these newer breweries doing some really fun stuff. And so, no, I hear about it, but I, I do have to say I, I am pretty, pretty ignorant about this market and I'm a little intimidated because it's such a 
big place. And <laughs> it's I, a huge I, city. I've been to Atlanta twice in the last, I don't know, outside of the airport twice in the mm-hmm. last, you know, 20 years. Is this the biggest market you're in? Or will be? I mean, you're in D.C., so... I'm in D.C. Kinda... metropolitan market, yeah. which is different. But Atlanta, I think, is unique unto itself. So I'll say, you know, Atlanta is such as just a thing... It's own thing, so perhaps this is maybe the largest single market, uh, right? Other, other than the DC area, yeah. obviously. But I mean, that's, that's I mean, that's your essentially your back. DC area. also spans two states and a yeah. district, so Maryland and Virginia, Virginia and, and then the district, and the district itself, of Columbia. Yeah. So that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But Atlanta, as far as just a singular city, wow. So I mean, yeah, because you guys are doing like basically a week and a half worth of stuff here. Yeah, and you know what's cool about like I think our company is the way we approach the market where we have two different positions. We invest a lot of people and we put them in the market and they stay in the market. It's not like we come in to a bunch of events and then we bounce and we're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, now certainly I, I will go home, but like yeah, you, you gotta have, go back. You gotta I have to go beer. make beer <laughs> and feed the dog and that sort of thing. But it's like. No, we have people that are, that live here mm-hmm. uh, that are going to be part of the community. Nice. And so one is a pathfinder, which is which uh, the analogy is you know their job. They're sort of more like their your traditional uh, salesperson, but their 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 job is to essentially try to get the beer on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And then you have the craft adventure coordinators who Danielle who who put on who coordinated this event. And her job is to get the beer off the shelf or get the beer into the glass or get the beer into the consumer. And so, so you know, beer is sold twice and, yep. and, it's, and it's moved. It's, it's unique. It's that, you know, as a brewery, we sell beer to our wholesalers, but mm. the job isn't done there. It has to get to the consumer, too. Right. And those things are managed and, and they work a little differently, which is kind of cool. And I think that's probably one of the smartest things we did as a company is to, you know, to have two specific positions that focus on, you know, there's two very different aspects of, of selling beer. I'll tell you what, you want to know you can find out about selling beer, making beer, distributing beer, distilling beer, however you want to do it. You can do it right here on Beer It Is, on the CSPN Network. My name is Tobias Wilborn, and I am here at Creekwood with my man, Joe Oliver, talking about the brand of Devil's Backbone. He's our head brewer, and so he's teaching me about their brand as well as how it grows and what they do. So let's go from there into what you guys do as far as well I did two things. One, how's going with the names for the jobs and the beer styles? That's a very interesting story. So the, the jobs came from uh, probably our COO, Hayes Humphreys. We're located out in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Like our both our breweries, one brewery is on the eastern slope. What about the Blue Ridge Mountains here in Georgia too? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah and, and the other is on the, the western slope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. yeah. So we're very outdoorsy focused. We're in a beautiful area, uh, and so the names kind of come from from sort of like trying to carry through that. Uh, that feel and so Pathfinder you know is, is, is setting the path is, is cutting the trail you know and the craft adventure coordinator is creating these experiences these mm. adventures for the consumer uh, so those are pretty cool names I think they're they really fit the position as well uh, beer names you know can come up kind of organically um, you know it, it took me a long time to figure out Vienna Lager yeah yeah just kidding uh, <laughs> uh, it's just a lot of work in right, right. Vienna Lager yeah right uh, but but you know, each beer has a story, and um, well, the Danzig, Danzig. So Danzig Baltic Porter. I've been brewing Baltic Porters at four other breweries. Danzig, I love it. One of, one of my favorite beers to make. I'm really proud of it. Uh, you know, named after 
this port city that's in Poland, Dansk, but also had a large German population. Nice. And the German pronunciation would be Danzig. And so it has a historical significance. It's on the Baltic Sea. Uh, and, uh, and so that's kind of where that name comes from. You know, there may be a... Uh, Another meaning to that, but that's fun. That's cool it's to get what you get. Have some fun. Yeah, have some fun with it. So, I mean, and the name of the brewery, Devil's Backbone, yeah. man. Like, I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I first heard it, I was like, mm, I don't know. But when I heard the story, it kind of fascinated me. Yeah, so that goes back to an uh, old survey with Thomas Jefferson's father, Peter Jefferson, surveying the Blue Ridge back when that was the end of the world. That was the end of the colony. You know, this is before we were a country. Right. You know? And, you know, he talks about going over this really rocky part and, uh, you know, going over the devil's backbone. And so that was very close to the brewery. And, uh, you know, it's a very colorful name. And so so that's what uh, our founder, C. Crandall, uh, settled on naming the brewery. And so I, I really like devil's backbone a lot better than one of the initial names, which was, I think, uh, named after his neighbor. And it was like something like, Crazy Mule or something. I'm oh, like, wow. I'm so glad we didn't call ourselves that. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's funny because there's a brewery here in Georgia named Left Nut. Okay. And the story about it is the guy worked in um, technology for all his career and worked at Microsoft, places like that, Silicon Valley. Um, and he was like, hey, I would give my left nut to start a brewery. Okay. And so their slogan is hang on to the one you got. But when you first see that name, it's like, Okay, it's a little different, but hey, man, if you make good beer, you make good beer. Yeah. And so, for you, speaking of making good beer, let's walk through that IPA okay. we had earlier. Tell me about that beer and what's going on with it. So, our 8-point IPA is uh, flagship Indie Pale Ale. We've been brewing it since uh, 2008 when we started as a brew pub. Uh, we've been bottling it since 2012 when uh, the first bottles rolled out in the winter of uh, January of 2012. You know, it's your kind of... Classic American-inspired India Pale Ale uses uh, the tried-and-true hops of Cascade, Centennial, Columbus, and Simcoe. It's finished with a lot of Simcoe, so you get sort of like a piney and resiny note to it. Uh, so probably more piney and resiny than citrus, and that's by design. Um, use, Which is uh, backwards from, a, not backwards, but different from a lot of the juice bombs. Sure, now. for sure, yeah. for sure. Uh, it uses... Uh, Pilsner malt, uh, English kerastan, a little bit of um, torrefied wheat, which is a puffed wheat, mm. uh, to give a little head retention, a little softness on the mouthfeel. And, um, and then tonight's pairing was really great. I thought it worked really well with uh, the prawns there. Oh, that was fun with the carry puree yeah. and the prawns. So, I mean, that really played out. By the way, I have it on my Snapchat at Inwoodborn19. Full pictures of this dinner on my Twitter and all the beer it is pod. So you can check that out, see what we kind of did there. And yeah, they, they had some really good stuff there. Um, let's walk through that Swartz beer a little bit. Okay. And it, it had with the little, and you used the ganache from that one too on that dessert. Yeah, so so our Schwartz beer, black lager, um, paired with the chocolate tort. And so this is by far the richest dish really mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it uh, the tour is amazing and I mean I got the Schwarzberg sort of had a cleansing effect where it had some similarity in flavors but yes. a touch of cocoa in there there was a small touch of coffee but it's like it's it, but it being a normal strength beer and that being a very rich dessert I, for me it kind of just cleansed the palate yeah you felt good just, afterwards it felt good yeah kind of like li- livened it up and you just kind of make you want to Dig right into the tort again. Yeah, that tort was yeah. good. That was great. And but in that Schwartz beer is. Uh, you have your chairs. 
That Schwartz beer um, is some of our brewers' favorites. So when they get off work, uh, brewers love that beer. So nice. You know that that it has an in-house cult following to it. I think it has a cool niche where. You know, it has this drinkability. It's a, it's a lager. It's a drinkability. But it, you have those subtle roasty notes, but it's not too much. And it's just really just poundable and drinkable uh, and approachable and unique. Yeah. But not heavy or cloying. It doesn't blow you out if you're a newbie. But if you're, a, you know, a standard, you know, craft beer fan, you can get into it as well. I think so. And you don't see a lot of them. I mean, there's, you know, there's a few out there in package, a few year-round ones. Uh, some are seasonal releases. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, you know, I've been brewing Schwartz beer. It's probably my third brewery I've brewed a Schwartz beer at. And it's just, it's just a fantastic style of beer. It really is, you know. Um, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great year-round beer. But it's also, uh, it's by... It's also, uh, you know, a good beer. But it's a good dark beer for the summertime. But it's also a good dark beer for the wintertime. It's a good dark beer It's anytime, just a good beer. Know? I mean, it's yeah. just one that you like, that brews well, drinks well, and it's easy to approach. I'll tell you something else is easy to approach. Here on the beer, here on the CSPN Network, beer it is. My name is Tobias Wobble, and I am here with the brewmaster of Devil's Backbone out of Virginia, the VA, representing here in Atlanta, brewing some really fun beer. So... Real quick, and I know you got to get out of here. I'm talk to your assistant brewer, Justin Hyde, next. So really looking forward to getting to him. But it's kind of going to finish up with a couple things. Um, so you went from Gordon Beers, and it's interesting because each of those places, obviously, they have the standard. But what was it like brewing there? Uh, I love my time at, at GB. You know, I uh, love the people I worked with. Uh, that's where I really developed as a brewer. I developed the process. I developed my skills there because. Uh, now the Gordon Beer Brewers have a little more creative freedom. They get to do some stuff. But back then, you know, you were brewing. We're brewing Gordon Beer beers towards mm-hmm. the end. We could do like one of our beers once a year. But and I worked at other brewers that that I designed all the beers. So I had experience designing beers. But you know, I did miss it. But what that brewery taught me was to fine tune the process to, to seek the process to matters. seek um, you know uh, satisfaction. And just really making a beer well built, mm. and so I would say I probably developed more as a brewer there, as just a brewer at GB than anywhere else. I certainly have developed more at Devil's Backbone, uh, recipe wise and uh, flavor wise, and that sort of thing. But those initial skills is what allowed me to kind of springboard into what I'm doing now, guys. And this man's a wealth of knowledge, so we're going to keep him longer, but he's got to get out of here, and so do I. We will be back. Going to have Justin Hyde, another brewer from there, on the second half of the show. Thank you and so much. And local son, too. So. Oh, yeah. And I guess it's going to be fun, and I appreciate what you guys are doing. Another good brewery in the Georgia market. So salute to you. Salute to Devil's Backbone. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thank appreciate you. It. Cheers. Thanks, Hey everyone, this is Classic of the CSPN. Do you like the podcast that you're hearing so far? Well, you can help us out. Keep our podcast free for you by shopping at Amazon. Visit our website, cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, you can shop for music, books, Blu-rays, DVDs, toys, jewelry, apparel, and much more. 
all with the discounts, quality, and shipping reputation that Amazon has to offer, and all through the CSPN. So, help us out. Go to CSPN.us, click on the Keep Our Podcast free link, and shop at Amazon through us. Do it today. here with the good folks at Devil's Backbone. Last we're on with the head brewer. Now we're on with the head man. The guy who signs the checks and allows all these wonderful things to happen at this brewery of Devil's Backbone. Here with Steve Crandall. Steve, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, pleasure to be here today. Good, man. How, how, so far, how's Atlanta treating you, man? Just Atlanta's out awesome, man. People are so nice. I was... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we were down at a tap takeover last night down well, at Southern Hospitality Argosy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I went out and walked down one down one side of the road and up the other side. Everybody was turning around saying hi, you know. And that's sort of like where I live in a one stoplight mm-hmm. county. Uh, but the South's always been that way. I think it's always been uh, uh, very kind people, good people down here. All right. And speaking of good, it's being a tasty. Let's start right here with the beer that I'm having. This cocoa bear yeah. stout. Man. Yeah. First of all. The name of it, and then walk me through this beer. So, um, you know, that's sort of our bear series, right? So, uh, we started out with a bear, a bear, a beer called Dead Bear, and that could uh, be quite a bear. It was quite a bear, uh, a beer. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's of course higher ABV, but uh, it's it's something that we've made from the beginning of our uh, opening. That's really, uh, you know, we've kept it around because it's everybody loves it. It's wonderful. Nice yeah. and. Let's talk a bit about your story. How did you get to opening a brewery? What, what's the what's the magic behind it? So, a lot of it was was random luck. Okay, so I um I actually was on a ski trip to northern Italy in the early '90s, and I wasn't a beer guy, you know, and. I didn't grow up in the craft beer scene. I went. I was in college in the late '70s, and right. And uh, there wasn't a lot of craft beer around. No, there wasn't a lot of craft beer. We were drinking Rolling Rock and PBR <laughs> and Bud Tallboys and uh, Miller Ponies, as I recall. The little ones, yeah. Yeah, those were awesome. Uh, but anyway, uh, that trip to Italy, I fell into a beer called, oddly enough, Weinstoffen. And there we've got we've got some Weinstoffen uh, umbrellas out here. And that's the oldest brewery in the world, established in 1040. And it was I was drinking a Hefeweizen on this trip, and I was drinking four, five, six of those a day, or starting in the morning and skiing and waking up the next morning with no ill effect. And I came out, I lost 10 pounds. I was like, what the heck is this, you know? And I'm an adventurer kind of guy. I've done a lot of hiking. I'm a, I was in Boy Scouts and hunting out west. And uh, um, in, the, in the mid-'90s, started seeing the advent of... Uh, of breweries popping up in the, in the mountains, and at that point, I realized, uh, you know, where we lived in the heart of the Blue Ridge, in the Blue uh, uh, heart of Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, it would be neat to build a pub there. So I said, uh, you know, if I ever had that opportunity, I'd do it. And I ended up buying 100 acres to develop, and part of it was commercial, part of it was residential, with mountains completely surrounded. This is a place we call Base Camp now, and. Uh, and that's where the original spot is. Yeah, that's our original, that's where our pub restaurant is. Um, and so I, I went ahead and uh, built the brew pub. And, you know, a lot of people didn't think it would work because there wasn't a lot of development. And it, it's a definitely a destination place. Wintergreen is a resort nearby that does drive a lot of traffic. But now we've reached critical mass. There's there's five breweries, three distilleries, and 12 wineries in our county, you Woo! know, with one stoplight. and uh, A lot of alcohol being made. Yeah, a lot of alcohol being made and a lot of people coming for the day or visiting and and but 
But anyway, um, you know, the, the odd thing happened is the real estate market dried up in 2008. And uh, I'd sold some of the lots off, but nothing got really built. And uh, all of a sudden, the beer took off. And we realized the property really was all about the beer. And wow. we were able to buy those lots back that we had sold for 25 cents on the dollar. And... Um, and we're developing the whole property sort of like around the beer, the beer culture of, of it, you know, with camping and RV hookups and cottages and lodges and, you know, outdoor bars, outdoor uh, grill. And uh, we're really well known for our smoked meats and uh, our hamburger, by the way, one of the best of the Blue Ridge. And, uh, uh, of course, our beer, you know. And uh, in the eight years we've been in existence, there was five years that we won uh, four national titles. And... Uh, the most award-winning craft brewery in the country in that period of time and uh, that really propelled us to, to new heights and it's been a struggle ever since to try to keep up with the, the growth of the business now what was your work before you decided to run I'm a contract building contractor so that helped you know and matter of fact I'm, I'm my son has taken on the reins of that third generation in the company and uh, you know we build uh, all throughout central Virginia sort of high-end custom homes but we built the breweries and, and, and a lot of the infrastructure that we're doing uh, now also that has to help a lot of um, I always notice either you can either weld which is like manufacturing your equipment yeah. or you have the building background or something. yeah I, I could found nails I actually had a carpenter's belt on for eight years and uh, um, that's that's gone by but uh, and that was great I mean I absolutely loved it but uh, that's a grind man it, it is a grind but uh, it's good I mean at the end of the day you built something you can see what you've done where you're in an office it's it's harder to see that so mm-hmm. a lot of pride in, in, in being a carpenter I think and, and doing that kind of work I well, mean man you know Jesus was a carpenter so I mean yeah well I <laughs> never I never got that connection <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, but it's definitely you know good connections to just yeah. building and creating, exactly, and growing and learning. So from there, you decided, okay, hey, we're gonna make this brewery work. But you didn't really brew. No, I'm not a brewer. And right. I mean, they they laugh at me when I go into the brew house, and uh, yet I designed the brew house, and yet I bought all the brewing equipment. Um, so from a technical standpoint, I get how it's all supposed to work, but. The creativity aspect of it isn't really uh, my forte, and it's my my brewer. We have 14 brewers that work for us now, and Jason Oliver, our brewmaster, I think yeah. he met yeah, him. Yeah, I met Jason. Good guy. Um, internationally acclaimed, you know, he goes and brews all over the world. We're a very collaborative brewery, so we do a lot of uh, collaborations with not only retail places, but different people in the industry, and, and our other friends who are, or who are craft brewers around the country. So, how does a man who doesn't brew convince brewers to come work for him? Um, well, Jason was really the the linchpin to all of that. Jason was the Mid-Atlantic brewmaster for Gordon Biersch. Mm-hmm. And um, I had designed the brewery, and I had a brewery consultant that lived in uh, Seattle looking for a Germanic-style brewing system, a used one, mm. like the, the great Weinstoffen beer that, I, yep. that I'd been drinking that I fell in love with. And in two years, we finally found a system it was a Zeman Miyake, a German-engineered, yes. Japanese-manufactured system that was sitting in a restaurant in Tokyo. I went over there oh, wow. to check it out uh, with my uh, with my guy to make sure that uh, that it was what we were thinking. It was a 10 hectoliter system. Uh, they call it an extraordinary Zeman Miyake because it has decoction vessel. It, it it's really top of the art uh, for for Germanic style brewing. And Jason, when he came down, he saw that and he immediately said, "I want to come work for you." 
He said, only one caveat, don't tell me what to brew, right? And I was like, all I was interested in was a Hefeweizen. Uh, but um, um, he brewed that and then many other beers. And I like to tell people, he's taken me on this beer journey where, you know, I've grown to appreciate many different styles of beers and fallen in love with lots of beer, uh, especially a lot of one-offs that we do. You sort of, your heart's broken when they're gone. You right, know? right. But, uh, but uh, we right now, I think we have about 28 different beers in different forms of package. Uh, and the, 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 the base camp, the brew pub, uh, we always have probably 8 to 10 sort of one-off beers on there also. And so there's, there's a tremendous variety of, of beer that we have an opportunity to try. And that's really cool seeing it, knowing I wanted this type of system and finding the brewer who would want to be yeah. on it and say, hey, yeah. Come work with me. It's like you build it, they'll come, right? Yeah, well, you know, it's like I said, it's rather be lucky than good, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, so he came, he did it, and then um, my wife and I put up uh, our home, our farm, and everything we'd earn in a lifetime of work. Uh, you know, I'm 60, so we did that at uh, age 55 of, and built our packaging brewery over in Lexington and uh, was able to get a USDA guaranteed loan, which all that means is you better have enough in front because they don't want to pay it off if you go down. So, we had the claws in pretty deep, but um, that, that turned out really well. And uh, we built a building that thought we thought it would last us 10 years with the capacity in the cellar. And turned out we were we ran out of it in two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. So how much beer are you guys producing a year? So uh, last year we produced right at 75,000 barrels. Yeah, it's pretty um, big. Yeah. This year we expect to get in the 90s somewhere, we think. Maybe, maybe a little more if we're lucky. Tell me about your brew house. How big is it? So we have two two brew houses. So again, along the theme of the Germanic-style brewing mm-hmm. systems, um, when I did a business plan, I looked at the breweries that I thought were amazing, right? And I got this small list, and it was Lagunitas, Stone, and, and Firestone Walker. And I was like, what do they all have in common? They all had Rolex brewing systems in common. Mm. Uh, and there was a, a brewing system, uh, a 30-barrel system in North Carolina, uh, Red Oak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to go down and visit that. And then from there I got in contact with the owner of uh, Rolex in Germany and uh, came out and we bought a 30-barrel system, uh, which we now uh, had to go buy a second system. We got a 120-barrel system um, in our outpost location. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 30 barrel. That's a Lexington. Yeah, it's right? a Lexington. Lexington. Okay. The 30 barrel right now is not being used very much. We're building a new uh, warehouse to house our packaging and shipping and receiving. So that's going to free up some space, and we're going to pick up the 30 barrel we have now and put it in that old space that the packaging was in. We're going to start getting into some serious barrel aging and, and things along wow. those lines. So the 30 barrel is almost like a pilot system? Exactly. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, and by the way, my audience now, I've been kind of building with you guys, so you guys kind of get how these systems work. The average small startup brewery is probably brewing, well, in Georgia, because of the state laws being a little funky, if you're not brewing on a 30-barrel system, you're probably not going to last very long. And so most times they'll have 60 and 90 yeah. fermenters. But to have where you guys are going to be where a 30-barrel is like your pilot system, that 120-barrel system has to be running huge. So yeah. talk about the fermenters. So um, we started out in our cellar with um, uh, with 120-barrel fermenters. Mm. And from there we moved up. We have, um, we have 20 of those. And from there, we moved to 240-barrel fermenters, uh, and we have 10 of those. 
and then we went to 960 barrel fermenters. See, those things had to be huge. Yeah, we've got six. They're 60 foot tall. Wow. We have six of those, and we have a pad that we've placed in that we can put another uh, another 12 of those, and that'll end up with our facilities and our infrastructure, give us the capacity of 250,000 barrels. And so I'm assuming the bigger barrels are holding your Vienna lager, which exactly. is like your, yeah. And our eight point or Vienna lager, correct. Right, which those are like your I, I compare a lot of things flagships. Yeah, yeah. flagships. Or I compare a lot of things like either Sam Adams or Sweetwater, where it's yeah. like that's your four twenty or that's your yeah, exactly. Boston lager. So for you guys, if you had a lager, that's your Yeah, we've done incredibly well with that beer. It's just uh it's a beer that um um not only new entrants into the craft scene like mm-hmm. because it doesn't have a, a high bitterness to it uh, it has a, the sweet malty flavor but also our uber beer geeks you know when they go out and they, they're having friends over for a weekend they're picking up a six pack of something wild and crazy and they're grabbing a six pack of Vienna because they know that it's very approachable right. and, and it, it hits a lot of people's palate so that's about 60% of our business is the Vienna just that one beer yeah it's amazing wow um, and how do you balance with, I guess, the geeks or the nerds and the entry level people? Because those are two very different classes of drinker. How do you how do you balance? So that with you know, drinks? we have a wide variety of beer. Uh, you're drinking Coco Bear right mm-hmm. now. Yes. Uh, Danzing is another one that I think we have on tap here. Uh, mm-hmm. A Baltic Porter, yeah, uh, and which is a little more extreme for for a lot of uh, people that aren't really into to uh, high ABV or. or, or you know, unique styles of beer. And so we have a, you know, a, a pretty big range that, that we deal with. And, uh, you know, we're doing some things that are really exciting, like the barrel aging program on the 30 barrel. But we're also doing another project right now we have the foundation in, and it's called the Jason Oliver Project, and uh, sort of like uh, uh, the Alan Parsons Project. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, but anyway, uh, putting addition on his on the brew pub and... Uh, Going to get a cool ship and uh, some horizontal fermenters and okay. wood fermenters in the back for for souring. Uh, nice. Yeah, we've done some sours. Uh, We're going to do like in a separate kind of yeah, yeah. separate facility uh, to keep you know the bacteria where it needs mm-hmm. to be. But. Uh, but, yeah, so that's really exciting. Um, in addition to that, we're building a distillery, a $3 million distillery that adjoins our brew pub right now uh, at our base camp location. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's going to be a lot of cross-pollinization and DNA there from from, uh, well, that's from the, both of those. That's, not, that's just kind of like the next step. Like Southern Cheer has a distillery. Um, Rogue has one. So several brews kind of yeah. doing Dogfish this. has Dogfish, one. Dogfish, yeah, exactly. So what are some things that we may see from that distillery? Like, will it be a bourbon? Will it be... Some- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when you start out, you got to barrel age, you know, your bourbons, your whiskeys to get right. some quality out of them. Mm-hmm. So so they'll they'll be put in barrels and stocked away. But, you know, initially we'll, we'll see some rum. Yeah, because so you can tell you can turn around pretty yeah, quickly. some rum, some scotch, or excuse me, some rum, some gin, and uh, vodkas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those are those things because they're distilled. Yeah. You can turn around quickly. You're not really worried about aging all Exactly. Them, and you can make some money. Yeah. While you stock your bourbon yeah. and your scotches away, Virginia was really known for rum production in the early days of, of Virginia, and uh, so there's a lot of historical context to that. Also, um, uh, we have a lot of um, uh, local brandy being still made in the mm-hmm. hills of Virginia: apple, oh, yeah. peach, apple. damson. Yeah, you know, um, and we'd like to do do some of that also. Well, a good apple brand. Well, it's interesting. I was just at a place here called American Spirit Works in Atlanta. Get a chance to go check those yeah. guys out. Um, they're near Sweetwater, and they're doing an apple brandy there. 
Um, little small system, yeah. old school stills, the whole nine. So it's kind of cool to see you guys want to get into the distillery. So would it be a day where we will see a maybe a cocoa bear barrel aged on a devil's backbone? Absolutely, <laughs> one wow. of our barrels. Yeah. So yeah, they'll absolutely. And and my brewers I have three brewers at base camp, uh, and we'll bring over a fourth one for the distillery. And all those guys are going to work, you know, sort of in both facilities. And I think it's just going to add to the creativity of, of what we're of what we're doing right well, now. Because, yeah. like, with bourbon, they call it wash, and beer, we exactly. call it wort. Exactly. But it's generally the same, same thing. Same exact thing. And so, if anything, I think brewers actually make better wort yeah. than most of Because they're counting on the distilled. Right. So it's like if you can get a really good wort or wash for the bourbon folk, Man, you could do some really special things with a bourbon and maybe not have to age it as long. Exactly. Because you can get really scientific with the details on it. There's a lot of that that's coming out now. Um, Somebody was talking about some way of putting some kind of electronic current through it Mm -hmm. in a barrel and age it a lot quicker. But, you know, we'll we'll probably be mostly traditional with what we do. Yeah, you you have a certain amount of time you want to age things. Yeah. And a certain amount of time you want to do things in the temperature and everything and how, how you want things to go. Yes, sir. Wow, I'm excited for that, man. It's really cool. It's cool. Have you been up there? Have you visited us? I visited you one time, but it was a while ago. I'm trying to get back in the spring. Yeah. In the spring. So we have a couple of festivals this summer. We have the Ales and Ember, which is a beer invitational uh, and food pairing event. Nice. The weekend like before 4th of July. Mm-hmm. And then the last weekend in September, we have the Hoopla, which is our annual uh, music uh multi-day festival we can camp up to three thousand people on the property and uh that's a just a really good sort of almost family oriented event you know it's not too crazy but Mm -hmm. it's uh it's pretty pretty special so man what's it like when people like kind of being able to come up there and do the camping thing and have the beer and take it back like how does that how does that play how does that work well you know the only way i could say where i've seen something that's similar is there's a place out in uh out in the west coast Several places actually, McMinimins, and mm-hmm. have you you've heard of mm-hmm. them? So they've got a place, a poor farm east of uh, Portland that yeah. they have on like 80 acres, and they've got all these different buildings that were utilized for poor folks that lived there, uh, you know, lodging and and workshops and different things, and they turned that property into uh, not only architecturally and visually from a planning standpoint to to an art standpoint, but uh, they have, I think, a brewery, a distillery, a cidery, and a winery, nice. and three or four restaurants on the property. And, you know, our goal is to have a place that you can come and enjoy an evening of, of sitting around a big fire that we have outside or have dinner inside, and then be able to just go walk to a campsite. And maybe the next day you get up and you go hiking up on the Appalachian Trail, or you may choose to... Uh, during this time of year to go snow tubing up on Wintergreen or, or, or go... Snow tube uh, before you drink the beer, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Or no, actually drink the beer before because it's really fun. I'm oh, telling wow. you. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I've gotten a bunch of my carpenters up there one time to go snow tubing and they laugh like little girls, man. They just had a ball. You wouldn't believe it. I can imagine because it's like going really fast Yeah, you got the whole thing yeah. going. And I tell you what, guys, we're going to take a quick pause for the cause because I just completed Uh-oh. the Cocoa Bear Yeah, and it was amazing. It was what it was, but there's another beer I really want to check out. Which one out. you gonna go for now? Ah, uh, the Kilt Flash. Oh yeah, that's that's amazing. So we're gonna try this Kilt Flash. He's gonna walk me through that. We'll come right back on the other side of this, talking about the Kilt Flash. You ready? All right. All right. All right.